Hello everyone, I'm Heather Ward, the SCA's Director of Content Strategy, and you're listening to the SCA Podcast. Today's episode is part of our Expo Lecture Series, dedicated to showcasing a curated selection of the extensive live lectures offered at our Specialty Coffee Expo. Check out the show notes for relevant links and a full transcript of today's lecture. This episode of the Expo 2019 Lectures podcast is supported by Soft Engine Coffee One, powered by SAP. Built upon SAP's business-leading enterprise resource planning solution, Soft Engine Coffee One is designed to quickly and easily take your small to medium coffee company, working at any point along the coffee chain, to the next level of success. Learn more about Soft Engine Coffee One at softengine.com, with special pricing available for SCA members. Soft Engine, the most intelligent way to grow your business. The episode you're about to hear was recorded live at the 2019 Specialty Coffee Expo in Boston. Don't miss next year's lecture series in Portland. Find us on social media or sign up for our monthly newsletter to keep up to date with all of our announcements, including ways to get involved in next year's expo and early bird ticket release. A lot has been written about the workforce, millennials in particular, choosing between a career and a passion. That shouldn't be the case. While baristas and other coffee professionals may find it hard to make millions, they should be able to make sustainable wages while also developing as a professional. What are the ways that cafes, roasting companies, and other coffee organizations can provide this working environment? Two small business owners with a proven track record in employee recruitment, development and retention, offer an in-depth, behind-the-scenes look into how it's all possible in today's lecture. Brian Helfrich, owner and CEO of Summit Coffee Company in Davidson, North Carolina, and Ryan Jensen, owner of Peregrine Espresso in Washington, D.C., lead a panel featuring Roast Magazine's Connie Bloomhart, Coffee Imports' Andrew Miller, and Atlas Coffee Importers' Tamika Nichelle Lawrence. Also, I will jump in occasionally to help you follow along. Uh, so, welcome to this panel discussion, A Career in Coffee, Why and How It Happens. Um, we have really awesome panelists um, here today that will be kind of leading the charge, and we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of subjects um, pertaining to our jobs and how we can retain people and how we can support the people um, in the work that we're doing. Brian, I'm going to go ahead and let you take up the next couple of slides. He's going to talk to us about what we're talking about. Awesome. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Um, so the genesis of this conversation is, like Diana said, on how to make sustainable careers for everybody in the coffee industry or for more people in the coffee industry. And um, the route that we're going to approach it from is what the current workforce, so specifically millennials and Gen Z, are looking for in a workplace. Um, and so a lot of the next couple slides have information from a really comprehensive study that Deloitte did uh, last year. Um, so, based on a survey of tens of thousands of employees in Canada and the United States, um, the millennials and Gen Z workforce uh, are looking for companies that are making a positive impact on the society and their environment, creating innovative ideas, products and services, job creation, career development, uh, and improving people's lives, and an emphasis on inclusion and diversity in the workplace. Um, and ranked by the survey responders, the leading priorities for the workforce and the topics that we're going to talk about today are, number one is pay, so compensation. That's obviously pretty straightforward. Um, number two is company culture. Number three is flexibility in your work. And number four is opportunities for continuous learning. Um, and a couple interesting slides um, Brian has two graphs on screen. The left chart shows that 40% of millennials expect to leave their workplace within two years, whereas only about 30% expect to stay beyond five years. On the right hand is the same graph, but for Gen Z. This graph suggests 61% of Gen Zs expect to leave their workplace within two years, and only 12% expect to stay beyond five years. The percent of millennials who expect to leave within two years is significantly higher than the people that look to stay for more than five years. So we have a very transient workforce right now. And 
I think our responsibility as employers um, is to try to create environments where people, um, A, want to stay for a long time, but also if they are going to be here for less than five years, that they have a valuable time while they are there. Um, and then similarly, uh, the Gen Z, so the younger generation, um, the disparity is even wider. Um, we're going to talk about three core focuses um, today, and uh, our panelists will kind of expound on all of these um, more in depth as we have these prompts and questions. So the first will be about um, financial, uh, second will be culture and workplace values, and then finally we'll talk about development and how we develop um, our people. Uh, so first with financial. Um, so our topics, our questions that y'all are going to talk about, what creative ways are we using to make coffee careers affordable, and how has this changed over the past decade? I'm curious. I, so I, I went to a panel in Atlanta three years ago with Ryan on it, and um, Ryan has an interesting approach to, uh, not to totally throw you into the fire here, but um, I think the way that Ryan approaches compensation is really insightful and something we adopted um, from an SCA panel four years ago and still used today. So if you don't mind explaining it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, part of, uh, so my background going into coffee retail is I spent, uh, I guess, six years working in coffee retail uh, in my 20s uh, before deciding to start our own company. And, and now we have three cafes. We've been operational for about 11 years. And so it's changed quite a bit over a decade. Uh, but one of the things we were trying to figure out, my wife and I have both worked as baristas, was how do we, you know, figure out how, how to make enough money and have a transparent way to know how we can make more money working in a coffee shop. I think that a lot of people, a lot of our coworkers would come and go, but some of us really wanted to pursue a career, but didn't know how to make that work when the places we were working didn't offer vacation, didn't offer health insurance, and you could argue weren't really offering a living wage. And so when it was our turn to start a company, we wanted to create a system, which we just call a wage chart, uh, to make it very transparent how much you can make starting on day one, how much you can make if you work for us for six months, for a year, for five years, and as you pursue various educational uh, opportunities and experiences within our company or within the industry, that you can accumulate what we call milestones that will also impact your wage. And so it's a very simple, you know, uh, hours across the top, milestones down the side, uh, here's your starting wage, and as you sort of choose your own adventure with our company, you can, you know, increase your wage by, you know, 50 cents, a dollar, two dollars, as you, can, as you stay with us. So for us, I never wanted to have that conversation with an employee where they didn't know how they could make more money with us. And I didn't ever want to have it be a situation where I was consciously or not having my own favoritism about who I thought was worth more to us as a company. And I wanted to just be out there from day one. This is what's happening. This is how you can engage your place of work and figure out how to, how to make it uh, like a living wage for you. If I may. Yeah, please. I think that you hit on something really important by saying that you didn't want to have your own like favoritism because it's really, that's one of the things that affects, we're not at culture yet, but it's one of the things that affects workplace culture in a way that makes people not want to engage and stay, even if they are making enough money. And so I just think that's like a really, uh, that's the experience that I had when I started as a barista. Like they were clear with me about how much I could make, what my learning opportunities were going to be. And it kept me engaged. And then six months in, I got the raise that I was told I was going to get because of the work that I was doing. And so it made me Ten years later, I now work for an importing company, right? But if that hadn't happened, never been my experience, I never would have stayed. And because they put a financial value on what I was willing to invest of my time, right? And that's something that's really valuable. So just wanted to highlight that. Yeah, I, I think it's a really neat thing because it sort of makes a typically subjective analysis pretty objective, and and I think that's really important. And I also think from a business development company standpoint, by setting the milestones in place as you do, you can... Um, basically steer your employees toward, A, what you think professional development is, and you can choose your own path a little bit, but also we assess, all right, if you check these milestones off, you're 
you're becoming a better employee, you're more engaged, and these are the areas we want you to pursue, and therefore you deserve to make more money for our company. It's not some arbitrary list of uh, tasks. Does this um, also include uh, wage transparency and like open conversations about the wages that employees are making in your workplaces? Or is this something that's just done from employer to employee? Or is this everyone? Uh, we don't have like 360 wage transparency. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I guess if you really wanted to know how many milestones someone had, there's no secret to that. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's part of every employee review. It's, it's actually every employee has their own Google Doc that lays out where they're at in the mm-hmm. system and they can figure out what to do next. That's awesome. Speaking now is Andrew Miller, founder of Cafe Imports. Uh, we have, you know, it's complicated, but in some, some, some avenues we have uh, maybe a system where an employee can have some uh, goals or some uh, desires that they want to accomplish over the course of the year. And then uh, on our side, we have the same, maybe the same thing where we say, if you can, if you can you know, accomplish this and do it over the course of this year, then we can tie a, maybe a bonus structure to that. So they know that if um, there's maybe usually typically maybe five pieces, five things, maybe it's uh, continuing ed or maybe it's a, a project or a research project that they want to accomplish that would you know, benefit all of us. So we can lay out these five things, goals, objectives, and then tie them to a kind of a bonus structure. And if you can meet all five of them, then there's a certain kind of comp that, might, that could be attached to it. So we're sort of encouraging them to grow and it's um, sort of strengthening all of us. That's great. We introduced um, profit sharing this year, or last year, um, which is... Um, I think a really exciting thing because it's uh, the perception is that, and we did across, we have three cafes and a roastery, and we did it across the entire company so that if the roastery and the wholesale business are having a ton of success, that the people in the cafe don't feel like they have nothing to do with that. And so um, it's a good opportunity for people to be invested. So we take 20% of all of our company profits and split them for annual bonuses for everyone who's working for us, um, split among the entire staff. The tricky part is if you have a year where you don't make a bunch of money. I think there's a bit of a disappointment or misconception. It's like, wow, we get 20% of company profits. And at the end of the day, when people walk out of there with like 110 bucks, they're like, what? Uh, I thought I was going to make $1,000. And uh, so you have to be um, prepared for that as well. But I think it's uh, to us that at least people have been really engaged with the idea that um, they're invested more in the company's success, at least financially. And that also gives staff a, a, like a personal reason to do better. Which is is like kind of like well, if the bonus isn't maybe what we thought yeah. it was going to be, that's a reflective of not necessarily the work that we're putting in, but that there's something else that we could do to get that number higher. And mm-hmm. so, like that, invest a barista specifically in wanting to sell more whole bean coffee because those are the people who sell more whole bean coffee in your cafe than anybody else. So, like it's stuff like that and makes staff feel like they are a valuable part of your business, but also makes you work a little bit harder. So it sounds like um, having open and honest dialogue is really important. Um, goal setting seems to be something that we're also talking about. And then finding other alternative creative ways to involve employees in the actual profitability of the business and having them be a part of that are ways that we can kind of make coffee careers more affordable. Are there any, is there anything else that you feel like we're missing? Just got to start them at a good wage. Yeah. Your business plan's got to be good enough to support starting people at a wage where they feel like their work is being valued. So there definitely are creative ways in which, uh, like, people should engage. Like, I think the bonus structure is a great idea that personally invests everybody, but there's also, like, there's an uncreative way, which is just pay people at the right rate <laughs> in the beginning. Uh, and then also, but something like that. So I think that is something that just, it's basic, but it has to be said. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. All right, y'all. Let's keep going. So the second core focus of culture and workplace values. So what do you find means the most to the professionals that y'all are working with? What do you find is a deep core value for your team and how is workplace culture helping you recruit and retain these employees (laughs) so I um, this is actually I think I don't this is not more important than pay obviously but it's more important I think than even because a lot of these I did um, 
a talk about like how diversity in the workplace encourages um, a workplace that's actually better for everybody, even if you don't fit in those categories, right? And so uh, a lot of the data is self-reported, so I think people under-report how important culture is because then they get a job and the culture sucks, but they have enough, but they're getting paid enough, and it's unsustainable. <laughs> so I think, to me, this is on a, on a level with pay, almost... It almost, it's almost flush, not quite, but it's like right there. Uh, and I um, definitely, I think these things are really basic. Everybody just wants to feel valued and like they're, you value the work that they're doing. And I think that's across industries, but it is the, it's a first step that a lot, that is easily missed. Um, I think especially if we're talking at the retail. So now I'm working for an importer, but um, I used to run a cafe for some town in New York. And so, like, a lot of my job was trying to figure out how to get people engaged, and, how, and a lot of it, it requires a lot more emotional intelligence than we are giving credit <laughs> to, uh, because a cafe manager is not, is, uh, a cafe manager is actually in service to their staff, and it's not the other way around. And when you're in a place and, it, and it's the other way around, it feels awful. Right, and so like it, that is to me one of the most important things is figuring out like how to engage with your staff in a way that feels respectful to them, and respect to me is probably uh, paramount when it comes to like building a culture that feels good and that people want to be a part of. So establish, establishing leaders who support from the bottom and push forward. Yeah. Uh, right. Yes. Speaking now is Connie Bloomhart, Rose Magazine's publisher. Anyone else? Well, my business model is so different from a cafe. Yeah. We have six full-time employees, and three of us have been there since the company started in 2003. So I think for us, it's been really important to have a great product. Like, our product is what people are really proud of that they contribute to the magazine, and we come to events like these, and people are like, oh, we love what you're doing, and that's a really rewarding part, and is, is really added to the culture and the way that we all work together. Yeah. So creating things that you're proud of yeah. um, and being a part of something. Yeah, and letting everybody of. be, you know, we want everybody to be part of everything we do and feel like, you know, even if, you, if you're a circulation manager or the editor, everything you do is just as important, you know, it, to making the magazine successful. A sense of ownership. For sure. Yeah. Love it. I mean, I think this is probably the, the simplest thing I've said, but you want employees that want to come to work. And what that looks like, I think is really different in different areas of business, whether it's publishing or whether it's roasting or whether it's importing or cafes. But ultimately, I think when you're putting together a team and you're hiring people, you need to think about how everyone fits together, what you're trying to achieve. And, and so you're not hiring one person independent of another person. It's everybody's got to, um, you know, I'm going to be in the cafe 10 hours a week based on everything else I'm doing. And so what happens when you're not there and how do people work together? How do they get along? How do they respect each other? And so, it's, in a lot of ways, it's like putting together a sports team. I, I was a sports journalist before, and um, my background's there. But I think if you're putting together a successful basketball team, you've got to think about how the pieces go together, not just good barista, good barista, good barista. This person does a lot of dishes. Great, let's put them together. It's like, well, uh, you really need to make sure that all the pieces fit and people get along and they respect each other and it's a good team. Um, I just want to uh, say that I, I know clearly the... Um, the workforce today wants to be part of something that's, you know, that's bigger, and they want to be inclusive. They want to um, make a difference. I mean, e- even the older workforce that I used to be a part of is, feels that way. <laughs> and I feel like in, we're fortunate in coffee. I mean, we're sort of fortunate in coffee that we're working in an industry where a lot of the product comes from faraway places where people are oftentimes marginalized. And we have this opportunity, especially in specialty coffee, to make a difference and increase the rate of pay by encouraging top quality coffees. So we've had this experience where we can go to, into a community that's, that's, you know, not, that's maybe struggling and we can say buy, pay high prices for really top quality and encourage the youth and encourage the people to increase the quality and thereby, you know, find a way to make a better living. So there's that kind of like, we get to do good in, in coffee mm-hmm. thing that's happening, which I think is really fortunate or fortunate for us. They're not just widgets. You know, we can um, impact people's lives. So I think um, have, having that be 
clear and open to our employees and even people at the at, on the bar that understand that this is this coffee that I'm serving today is from a women's coffee producing association somewhere where extra money is going to this association to help these people, you know, help themselves. So I, I think we're we're in a pretty I think in us being in coffee, we're in a pretty special place where we have those opportunities. And I think maybe those get missed out a little bit at the cafe level. I, I feel like uh, now being on this side of things, I'm always thinking about, like, what is the way that I can engage roasters to engage their staff? Because, mm. again, like the education that I had at uh, Sometown in Counterculture are what made me realize, like, oh, there's an entire industry surrounding this that's like a could be a pipeline to something else and so it matters that I make this coffee well and I took my job really seriously because I knew that and like I think if people can create that like culture of like sharing that information from origin and saying like no really your investment in this community is making an impact that changes the whole meaning of what your staff are doing right so it feels to them if it feels too far away I think it can be really hard to communicate that what you're doing matters. Um, but if you're good at like having that information back and forth with your partners, uh, with your sourcing partners, uh, then it makes it, and having that reach the bar staff, like he said, it changes everything and the culture and the respect that people take with the coffee that they're working. And that even ekes out onto your customers. So it's like, that is paramount. And I think that's a really good point. I think for us, uh, working in, I keep coming back to what means most to coffee professionals. I think working, running a cafe where everyone that comes to us has a different story and a different reason for being interested in working in a cafe. And I think that we have some people that come to us. I mean, we've had countless hill staffers want to get off the hill and just want to work a coffee job to get off the hill. And so if you're, you know, for better or worse, you're kind of, uh, you know, a place for them to rehab and, and sort of you're, you're like counseling them through like getting out of that life. And, uh, and then, you know, other people that come to us that, you know, moved from, you know, the next city over and worked at the best cafe in that town, they want to work uh, at a legit coffee bar. And so how do you, you know, take these people with very different reasons for being with you and respect them and listen to them and understand where they are and take care of them and create a team with them. And, and, and I think it's uh, trying to yeah, meet them where they're at and understand how can I uh, value you and, and, and sort of bring you to the next step in your journey, whether that's in coffee or not. And, and understand, you know, as a cafe owner, our place in the chain, that sometimes we're going to, you know, be the, the step in the chain where people go work for Atlas Coffee Importers, and that would be amazing. And sometimes, five years down the road, they're just doing something completely different, but they're happy and hopefully they think fondly of their experience with us. So it sounds like having um, leaders who are aware of the personhood of the people working for them, recognize them as individuals, and work with that person to figure out what it is that they need. Does that sound... And also treating people like entire people who have whole lives that go on outside of their work. And so, like, for me, like, if I was having a hard time, my coffee job was, like, my happy place, right? But maybe that's not everybody's situation. And being Mm -hmm. able to treat people, I think... It sounds woo-woo, but, like, there's just a lot of kindness that could be extended to staff. Like, there, when you're managing a place and, like, sometimes somebody calls out and it's you that has to work that shift, it sucks if you've been there all day, right? But, like, it's your job. You're the boss. It's your job to find it in you to be kind then in that moment to that person. And it's a really simple thing, but it goes really far. And so, like, there is a lot of, like, see, you need to see people as whole people and realize that they're not always going to be able to show up for you in the ways that they would like to. And there's a way that you can address that that is that where you get closer if that person is a good fit for your job. Uh, and, yeah, so it's just something that I think gets missed out a, a lot on. Yeah. I think that's a great point. About I, I, I think you have to strike a really appropriate balance of caring for people and also holding people accountable. And, you know, we've ebbed and flowed over the years in so many directions where it's straight accountability and no one is that happy. And also, like, we just really want to take care of people. And then it's okay if you show up to work 10 minutes late. It's like all of a sudden you have to find a balance of it's it's sort of a the 
thin line between empathy and sympathy. And so making sure you treat people uh, empathetically and understand where they're coming from, but also, you know, try to help them then get to the level that you're expecting from them rather than just totally saying, hey, I'm, it's okay, you're having a bad day, you don't need to come to work today, because that's not the reality of a, running a business. And a lot of it's just like people are afraid to do, like for straight talking. Like, you know, there's nothing that creates like a good environment as much as being like honest with the standards that you have for everybody and just saying like, hey, you let me down. Like, but people have a hard time doing that, right? <laughs> like, I needed this from you and I didn't get it. And I understand that you're having a hard time. What can we do to get you there? But I still need this, right? And it's, they're like, that's three, three or four sentences, <laughs> But like clarity in employ- like from your employer in a way that doesn't leave you wondering if things are okay or not okay is a really good way to have an environment where people feel like they can be honest and also that, yeah, they'll be held to a standard that you need from them. This is a lot. It's a lot of this, this culture and workplace value seems to be really hedged on making sure that those in leadership are aware, are compassionate, are listening, are communicating, are self-reflecting. Does that sound about right? Mm -hmm. That's the way that we can move our people, keep our people um, motivated and just keep them. And that's the thing. It's a huge responsibility. It's a lot. You just said like a lot of things. And so like sometimes people just hire the best barista, for example, to be a manager. And I'm like, this person needs to manage the entire culture. And, and you are saying you are the one to be the art, like to be the representative of everything that I want here. And so when you want to promote somebody and put somebody in that role, you need to think, can they do all of that stuff? Right. And, and also it's our job to develop people and teach them how to do the things that, cause I was, when I got promoted to manager, I was all straight talk at first. <laughs> that didn't, that wasn't great. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and someone had to pull me aside and go, no, that's not how we're going to do this. So, yeah, I think that it's a lot, it's a big responsibility and it's something that people need to keep in mind. Yeah. yeah for, for ongoing reading, there's a uh, book that I just read um, called Radical Candor, which is a really cool philosophy on, on how to approach management. And there's basically two axes, and one is caring professionally and one is challenging people. And basically, the optimal part of management and teamwork is that you are caring for people and challenging them. That if you care for people and don't challenge them, basically you're being ruinously empathetic. And if you challenge them without caring for them, you're being obnoxious and aggressive. And so it's that balance of you're not doing your job right unless you're doing both those things simultaneously. This isn't a question, but we're talking about leadership. And so I'm curious uh, what all y'all are doing in your companies or what you're seeing folks are doing to cultivate good leaders for your teams is there are there internal structures or there things that you'd like to share maybe about those things uh i can add a couple things yeah. <laughs> um back to the original the original conversation that i just wanted to uh, or the previous conversation I just wanted to point out that from a, a leadership perspective if, I've, I've learned in running a small business that sometimes you have to say things and over and over and be clearly obvious with maybe your values or your mission. It's not, it's something, it's not enough just to have it on the website. You need to oftentimes re- repeat it and mm-hmm. you know, have a, maybe play a game or something so everyone knows <laughs> and so we can be clear about those things. Um, and I, along that line, I think, yes, structure is really important, and especially in a growing company because it's, it's hard to have you know, expect job descriptions and expectations for everybody when you have two people. You know, because it's really pretty clear who's doing what. You, know, you got to go and love the truck. It's a coffee date. Yeah, exactly. But as it grows, and I and I think I would encourage people to be more aggressive or more uh, proactive with that than you think. Is to have those things laid out really clearly. What are the expectations, and what are the what are the expectations, and who's responsible for what, and when that gets passed from one person to another? Because it it, it as it grows, it just be, can be chaos if it's not clear. So I feel like. Over-communicating is probably uh, the, my, my motto, my yeah. message for today. Good one. I like it. I'm fairly new at Atlas, so it's not like my, um, probably like, I think maybe five months now. And so I am not doing anything but continuing to learn how to do my job. Uh, but one thing that I think our leadership team does really well is like, so we have set, I have set check-ins with the person that manages me. And so like, and it's quarterly. And so I'm, I evaluate myself. She provides me an evaluation. We have goals, right? And so, like, 
it is a useful way for me to check in and for her to check in with me and saying, like, these are the things that you're doing well. Here are some things that I'd like to see you improve on. And it leaves, for me, everything's really clear. And then I also can always ask a question if I need to, right? So, like, there's an open-door policy. And when something gets changed or somebody has a question, it's, like, never not explored to the point where it feels understood, right? And so it's like if... I need to know something or if something is going to change, no, no one is ever like, well, you don't need to know why. They like come to me with, inf- like it's, there's information set out for me and then if I have an additional question, great, but most of the time I don't because I'm being given what I need. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, uh, you know, I'm not just being told no or this doesn't make sense or, and then that's the end of the conversation. So I think there's like having an, a transparent, like a transparent system where it's like, these are your check-ins, these are your goals, this is what we want you to work on. Uh, and then also having an open and honest dialogue when needed and not, and knowing that it's not going to like turn into anything weird if you have a, or that there's something weird or shady going on. I think that is, and even if there's not something shady going on, just telling people no without telling them why you don't, your toddler doesn't accept <laughs> why, why your toddler won't accept that. Why should your employees, you know? Yeah. One thing that um, I found to answer your question on training leadership is that oftentimes when people get elevated into leadership positions, it's at that time where they have to start learning how to be a leader and you're already way behind. And personally, we've made that mistake several times. We're like, hey, you are now the manager and we're going to teach you on the fly how to be a leader. And and so one thing we introduced at Summit this year was um, the School of Innovation. And basically, we're trying to train people for skills that we think they're going to need in future jobs. And so... I taught an eight-week leadership development course to people that weren't on our leadership team. And so, A, to see, it's a voluntary thing, but if you take the class, you get a milestone point, or we call benchmark points. And so, A, you see who wants to take a leadership development class. Who's going to raise their hand and say, I want to learn how to be a better leader? And then also, by the time this job opens, we've had eight weeks to train people on what leadership looks like, and they're ready to go. And so, and whether that's with Summit or whether it's they go to Atlas and go to an importer, they've hopefully had a valuable experience um, working for Summit and learn something about leadership while not being in a leadership position that prepares them for the next step. So um, for Focus 3 development. Uh, so this kind of ties into some of the things that we're talking about, but it go- goes beyond just folks in leadership. So how are we training our coffee professionals? Um, and how are we developing soft skills? <laughs> I love air quotes. I actually think this is the area where we could do stand to have the most improvement. So in my, uh, I sometimes say that I had a charmed coffee career. I feel like I have had, but uh, in that I've just been at the right place at the right time sometimes. But I also had people who took specific interest in me and who they would never refer to themselves as my mentors, but were 100% inside my company and outside have mentored me. And so, like, they pulled me aside and were like, hey, that all straight talk thing's not going to work. <laughs> or, like, they were they did the same thing, like, oh, you have interest in management? Why don't you take over our, our inventory process? So, like, I was ordering for the cafe for, like, four months or five months before I got a promotion. So, like, I didn't have to learn everything all at once. Um, and there isn't... And they provided, like, a clear place for where my career could end up if I stayed with the company. Um, and that is something that I think just generally, whether you it's with someone you are... Whether they're at your company, they're outside of your company, providing opportunities for mentorship... And, like, being able to have conversations with people when they're having a tough time and saying, here's how you work through this, here's what I did, is what is one of the things that I wish existed more. Like, I wish there was a better uh, format for that. Because that, I think, that is 100% why I'm still in coffee. And also, I think, why I see some people fall out in a way that are have a passion and are smart that kind of hurts my heart a little bit because it's like they're, you don't, they're lacking like that guidance. And if I didn't have it, I wouldn't have gotten a promotion ever. So yeah, something to think about. Yeah. Do you think as an industry it would be beneficial if we had some type of platform that people could reach each other? Oh, 100%. And mm. it's definitely some stuff that we've been uh, talking about on some SEA, ta- like in some SEA task force that I'm like working on. There's a, I'm going to, drop the lead scholarship, please apply. So it is uh, there. I think there are five uh, openings and you 
receive a, an experienced mentor and you get to go to an international SCA event, you get to come to Expo, you have regular check-ins, there's opportunity for development, um, and applications have opened up, I think, yesterday, right? And so it's, such a, it's a program that we've been working on, we're super excited about, and stuff like that, if it could spread outward, I think would be really, really valuable because a lot of it feels nebulous. So I received a lot of help, but I also didn't know where I was going to end up. That's kind of why I say I had a charm coffee career, because I just focused on the job that was in front of me, and I was lucky that people brought opportunities to to my awareness but I don't think like uh, that it does not happen on that way a lot of times and people will talk to me and say but what do I do or how do I where do I go right and it's I don't think it's clear the pathways to coffee careers um and so I do think there should be something like that for sure yeah I think Connie you bring up a good point I like a platform to whether it's I mean not like an online chat room but (laughs) if you knew who was availing themselves to because I feel like a lot of people are open to offering help, but you don't even know where to go. So we have our, our director of coffee, you know, has gotten to a certain point, and he wants one of my tasks for him was to continuing his development. And, and as you get, as you grow and as you become more the expert, there are obviously still people to learn from, but it's harder to access. Like where do where do I look to talk to someone? How do I you know how do I look to learn more outside of SCA courses and you know, maybe going to Roasters Guild or Barista Guild retreats, what is available? And I think there's so much information, and I think having some sort of platform to allow for collaboration would be beneficial for everybody. And that's also where the, big, like the bigger coffee roasters, where we don't, like some of, some of our market is like smaller, people with two or three cafes, and like they're community-based organizations, but places with larger organizations are really good they have good organizational structure that has to exist because of the size of their company so it doesn't need to exist in our smaller companies i mean atlas has like 20 people right there's only so much that you need to there are only so many striations that you need to create that before it just becomes ridiculous right but when a company is huge they're a good that's a good place for you to learn some like professional skills and i think that that's one thing that that Organization that the SEA could do to connect those pieces because sometimes they feel really far, uh, and definitely people at those organizations get are realizing that like the stuff that that maybe smaller roasters are into and care about and their communities care about have had an impact on what everybody else cares about and what they're looking for and the fact that everybody wants to make an impact. So I think there's actually a really good opportunity for back and forth in between those communities that sometimes feel very separate. Uh, because there's a lot of like passion and very interesting ideas about sustainability that can be brought from the level that smaller roasters who work with smaller producer groups work with. And then there is a level of organizational development and skill sharing that could happen from those larger companies. So, yeah. I, I, I'm curious to know where you guys, um, you know, in different industries, how you encourage people to learn more. I mean, is it all internal training? Is it... Um, skills, are there external things? I mean, SCA obviously has sort of a stranglehold on education and the specialty coffee industry. I, you know, frankly find the, some of the classes pretty cost prohibitive, especially for a staff of, if you're hiring a new barista every three months and, you know, I mean, say, hey, here's $2,000 to take all the SCA classes, that's not that practical. And, um, and so I'm curious to know how um, each of you guys approaches sort of ongoing development and learning. We do a combination of those things. I mean, for, on our side, it's a lot of um, technical training about cupping. So we'll, you know, the new people will come in and they'll do, go through training sessions and, uh, you know, using the tools that come from SCA, like the Native Cafe and maybe the acids and, you know, tasting over-roasted coffee and tasted fermented coffee and tasting phenol in their coffee. Those are always fun. <laughs> Learning how to taste Quakers. I mean, one good example is somebody was like, I can never smell a Quaker. So we pulled out like 15 Quakers and ground those and brewed that and said, here, tell you this. <laughs> now she can taste Quakers. But I mean, so it's, all, it's sort of an environment of continuing ed. Because, and we, I think we, you know, we also were involved in the SEA in the early days as, as um, you know, taking the classes and then helping to volunteer and then um, maybe teaching the classes. So we, you know, have the, all, all the salespeople are, and the quality control people would always be engaged and involved. And those, I think there are some really great tools out there. I mean, the CQI and the SCA and, and all of the classes and things they have, but there's so much to learn with green coffee or coffee in general. I mean, 
the difference between pulp naturals and Sumatras and naturals and Brazils and wash coffees and, and the rest of the world is the, it's vast and it makes an impact on the end, and the end product. So it's a big world, but and education is really important for us. So we're always trying to do outward facing things on how to roast or how to cup. And, you know, those are free. People have free videos on their websites. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you do as well of how to, how to cup and how to, how to roast, but there's a lot out there. So we're always, in, you know, encouraging and um, trying to involve people in the industry and, you know, keep on learning. And importers are a really good source for, like, like you said, most have videos. Like we uh, have classes uh, that like are complementary in some ways mm-hmm. uh, or like even if importers just host cuppings where they'll focus on like certain things or have events like if if uh roasters want to engage in that stuff we usually can make it work obviously it's like it can't be like all the time but maybe do an event in a particular community and everybody comes to that one event so i do think like it for importers there's like a lot of we have like a lot of information mm-hmm. that we're willing to share and it's really just how much the like our roasters want to engage with that or have time to. And then in the cafe, in the cafes, I felt like a lot of that, the education that we received was internal. Um, and so there were like internal training programs that were developed or like at counterculture, like I was like taught how to teach labs. Um, the first couple were real rough. Uh, <laughs> and um, I do think there is, there is a time to look outside of coffee though, like for sales, like how mm-hmm. to sell stuff, for example, which is, an important skill set if you're a salesperson. Um, those, like I did sales training outside of coffee. It, that was like provided to me by my employer. And so that was really useful because it was, the people part was great, but there's a whole organizational and research skill set that comes with sales that you have to be, you don't have to be taught, but if you're not, you might not be as efficient as you could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I definitely think for certain skills, we should be looking outside of coffee because we end up in specialty because we love it. It doesn't mean that we have all the skills that we need to make our business run well, and a lot of them are learnable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but maybe we are not, we're not always the best person to, best people to teach it. Or if an existing thing works, like there are sales trainings that work, so like maybe you're just sending that person to a sales training. Yeah. yeah. I have definitely heard, you know, people say that the SEA curriculum sometimes is a little spendy for people. And I think there are some really great options out there. You just have to look for them. Um, There's some regional roasting groups. There's some regional barista groups. And I find that those are really great places to, you know, meet your peers and take some classes. And sometimes they're taught by the same people who teach the SEA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we have some time for questions. Hi, uh, my name is Thomas. I just moved to the US and uh, I'm an AST for the SCA. And applying for a job in New York City, I faced the situation where most companies I applied for were telling me, oh, we prefer to hire someone who has no knowledge so we can build something. And so I'm in this situation weird, like where I'm kind of, I don't know, knowledgeable in some way. But it's like for, for some companies that have a strong company community, it's like, this is too much, we prefer to have our own building, you know, you know what I mean. So I wanted to have your opinion on this, because at some point when you get trained and you want to travel with coffee, because, you know, it's such a great thing, sometimes it goes the other way and you're just stuck, you know, in a weird situation. So what's your opinion on this? Yeah, so what is your response to, like, an overqualified candidate or someone that um, might have information or too much information when they're going into your team? What's, how do you feel about those things? And what advice maybe would you give? I think if you find yourself in that situation, it is one thing, as someone that did do hiring and hired experienced people without experience, sometimes people who do have experience are not open to learning something new. And I'm, I'm going to guess, obviously, that that's not how you feel. That's why you traveled, you know? <laughs> but there are definitely some baristas who are like, well, back at my old shop, I, we only did it this way, and I, don't, and I only want to do it this way. So I think one approach you can take is when you're in for interviews is say, I know that I've, I'm pretty experienced, but I'm excited 
to have a new opportunity and I'm here because I'd like to continue learning more. And so that's where I would start. I would say like I, I am here because I, I'm really open. I traveled because I wanted to learn how coffee is different in different places and I have the capacity to be open. And, and I'm like really excited about learning more. And I think instead of maybe waiting for them to have a negative reaction to it, I would just start with that um, and just make it really clear, like abundantly, like uh, he said, over-communicate. Yeah. Just make it abundantly clear that you're willing because definitely um, sometimes I've hired experienced baristas and it was the best thing and they were such an easy fit and sometimes it wasn't for the people that, for the reasons that you're, maybe those interview or those shop owners are worried about. I don't think it's necessarily fair and I, and I wish that that was not the case but I think one may, way you can maybe get around it is just by sort of naming it yourself and saying that you're willing to learn. Yeah, I think hiring in that situation, I mean, we would be looking for humility and, and also trying to gauge how quickly is this person going to be agitating to take over as the manager or something, you know, like that they're having a, a clear grasp of like career goals and that if we already have a management team in place and you're not currently a part of it, like, are you going to like just be satisfied with that for X period of time. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, my name is Jake. I'm at the Trident Cafe in Boulder. Um, wondering what you guys might say to uh, people working at the cafe level looking to get into other areas of the coffee industry, such as like roasting and porting, for instance, or anything. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I just want to, I was like, I've been talking a lot. Maybe I should wait. <laughs> uh, my best advice would be to engage with like outside information basically right so like go to cuppings and like that are happening in the area or and like see ways that you can get involved with your importers when they're in town or like um even starting one really good way to uh, i know that colorado's got some pretty good you guys have got really great coffee communities uh and so maybe like starting something outside of the community that like outside of your particular shop that brings like the community together for uh, education. Like for example, we're gonna do this. Oops, sorry, I just lost an earring. <laughs> we're gonna do this really fun event in D.C. that we did in New York, and it's partly because the folks in D.C. were like, we saw that you did that thing, and Bloom is gonna be happening, and we would love to do something like that, right? And, I, and I'm going to be at Bloom, and I would love to do an event like that. Uh, and so when, if somebody communicates, if a group that is, that is dedicated to sort of like coffee culture in their city communicates something that, like that to me, like I'm, I'm going to participate in it because I'm interested also in building community. So I think see, not getting focused solely on your cafe or like being the best, being the best barista you can, but also like seeing clearly like what else you want to do and so sometimes it means like putting yourself out there and saying like hey I'd like to can I just like hang out with you while you roast and maybe you talk me through a couple um there is a lot of uh there's a way to ask for that help without being demanding and there and also being understanding of maybe that the organization does not have a lot of opportunities and sometimes it's a bit of a waiting game um but I think Potting out for yourself what you want out of your job. Because, like, roasters, I could never roast coffee. Roasters are by themselves all day. Just them and the roaster. I, could, I can't do that job. <laughs> and so I never looked to roasting because that, that's not where it was going to work for me, you know? So think a lot about the realities of those jobs. Talk to people and, say, and figure out where you actually want to go, and then that can direct you. So maybe... Um, you want to be in sales. So you talk to some salespeople and maybe they tell you things that make you want to do it, but maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think Charlotte, Diana, to blow up a little bit, started a um, Charlotte Coffee Collective, um, which is basically there's, you know, in any city, there's roasters, cafes, there's maybe some importers, some salespeople. There's everyone in the coffee industry, um, you know, around. And, and sometimes it takes a leader to say, all right, let's get together every month or every quarter and let's just have like, let's get together for a cupping or for some beers and, and then create a network of people where, and you know, the forum more than anything has turned out to like sort of a helper industry. Like, hi, I'm starting a cafe. Who can offer advice? Um, and, and so I think if something like that exists in Boulder or in Denver or 
you know, you could even help start one. I think providing people an opportunity to communicate and share, I think, is, um, is always terrific. And also for people who want to get out of cafes, uh, take, stay in the cafe a little bit longer and, and get a cafe manager job. My cafe manager job was probably my least, my most hard and my least favorite <laughs> job. And I, lo- and I loved it because I loved the people that I worked with, but it was tough and it asked a lot of me. And I think that's why I felt that way at that time because it asked more than I, than I felt like I knew how to do. It also taught me more than most of what I've done since. Do you know what I mean? So, like, a lot of times I see baristas not, they're like, but I don't want to be a cafe manager. And I'm like, oh, well, if you want to learn time management and if you want to learn how to engage people and get them on your side and get them to do the things that you need them to do, which those are skills that will serve you in any part of your life period. Mm -hmm. Like, that's where I learned that stuff and how to be clear and how to ask for what I need. Um, And so uh, whenever people are like, I want to get out of the cafe, I'm like, well, stay in the cafe a little bit longer really invest and like take a cafe manager job and do it for a couple years. And that actually opened up my opportunities to go work at counterculture. And and I still are using, I'm using organizational skills and people skills that I learned during that time. Hey, um, at the beginning, I'm Laura from Craftwork Coffee Co. in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, you mentioned profit sharing, and I'm curious if you recommend doing that at a store level or company as a whole to be kind of um, mitigate the trade-off between being motivating to people but also creating team unity and, and not division. So, um, We found that, so to, to recap, we, we have three cafes and a roastery, and so we take all of our company profits, and they're all different companies, but we pool them and then divide it among everybody. So, um, cause we really want to increase our, our whole brain and want people to be invested in the other cafes. Um, we considered having it be cafe specific to say, you know, at this, the baristas at this cafe worked their butts off and had a great year. And so they deserve some of the benefits, but we felt like it was more important for our team in general to be lifted up. And, um, I think people, we saw an increase in investment and how people approach the entire company as a whole, knowing that, uh, gosh, you know, the roastery's got a super big order, and I'm a barista five miles away, but they need help bagging on Friday afternoon. Like, I'm going to jump over there and help them because, you know, it's the same, it's the same company. Uh, just to follow up on that, do you split it up evenly just across the number of employees? Across? The, when you do profit share, is there some way of... There's a, there's a, I created this uh, formula that's um, basically that adds up to 100%, and then employees, whether they're in leadership or full-time or part-time, they get like three points, one point, eh, half a point. Um, and then if you're employed at the end of the year, it just, you know, it's a straight calculation. But yeah, so the manager would get more than the, you know, two-shift-a-week barista. Hi, my name is Adrian. Um, I'm with Iconic Copy Roasters in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and we just are starting to build a larger team um, for our roastery and for our wholesale program. We are trying to introduce a new form of education, and I was just wondering if you had any suggestions for a whole new role that's being developed for education that goes across the board in the cafes and in wholesale. You mean, I'm sorry, I just want to clarify. No, 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 um, That it's that you're asking if... Um, you're asking if we have like recommendations for the role, so this person will be responsible for educating everybody, right? Well, so they'll be responsible for culture plus. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. It's a um, great job. No, I think so too, and it's a it would be a great learning opportunity. The first thing is um, definitely only hire somebody who's emotionally intelligent. Because that is more that is that is the place where like that is so that person is creating the whole company culture, and they need to be able to relate to everybody, and they need to write a curriculum that is appropriate. <laughs> um, and so that person really needs to be like whatever your highest standard for emotional intelligence is. That person needs to have that first and foremost, um, and then. I would have like a leadership team and sort of figure out what's really important to you to include in the mission statement. And then the curriculum, in my mind, I would make them into classes and everybody should have to do them and you should explain to people why and also there should be benefits built in 
to going through the process uh, and and achieving something. And even if it's just like a, you know, a barista gets like a, well, I would never say give somebody a 50 cent raise, but maybe like a dollar <laughs> after they do it all. So it takes like six months to get it all done and then they get a premium for having done it. Uh, and even if you factor their starting wage, that into their starting wage to encourage it getting done, um, that is definitely something that you'll want to do, but that person will be the person in your organization that you want to be the most respected, and for that to be possible, they need to be the person most deserving of that respect. I I think one tip for approaching this job is to make sure that you approach education through how it's received and how it's comprehended and not so much how it's taught. We built an educational curriculum similar to what you're talking about, and it was so focused on disseminating this information and, and we got to a point after three months of trying to implement it that we were frustrated that our baristas weren't really retaining it, and we had given very little thought ahead of time to how are they going to retain this, how are we going to you know, reaffirm this information, all that stuff, and, um, and sort of wasted six months of this process because um, we were just, like, just into teaching and not into like, learning in general. Hi, I'm Jeff Purser. I work for Equal Exchange at the cafe here in Boston. And my question is about benefits, especially for um, smaller organizations. Um, how, how do you provide health care for your employees and time off? Uh, our, our vacation is very simple. It's, I think, uh, uh, four one-hundredths of an hour for every hour worked. It, it equates out to, if you work 40 hours a week in the cafe, you get two weeks off a year, 10, ten full days. Um, and then our inch, and then it's a little bit more for our like management team. Uh, and then um, our insurance is, you know, within by the 90th day, you get um, ends up being it's like a flat rate. So with the healthcare, it's changed also in 10 years. Um, it used to be, you know, like 80% of your premium, and now it's a flat rate. And depending on what plan you pick, it can be all of it or half of it or whatever. So do you, do you provide health care for all full-time employees? So yeah, yep. I think we've got time for one more quick question. Oh, and I just want to say, you just have to build it into your business plan. So, and it's hard to do once it's done, but like for the people that I know that were responsible for that, those decisions at companies when it was really small, it meant sacrificing other stuff. It also meant turnover at our cafes were really low. Like people stayed, I, there was one of my years... We were the same team for an entire, like, 18 months. So nobody quit. And that's in New York City. So that's huge. So it just is one of those things where it's like, if I say this about green coffee all the time, people are like, but I don't know if I can afford to spend more. And I'm like, you probably, I I ran a a cafe, you could probably spend more. But you have to (laughs) talk about where, you have to spend less somewhere else in a place where the impact is not as important. And so, like, the impact is really huge for your staff for having health care. And so that means looking somewhere else. And that maybe means changing pricing at the end. And that means being more efficient in spending. But that's, I think it's one of those things where you, if you look at it as a must-do, then you solve around it. But if, you, but if not, it gets harder because you're like, well, should I? And, and, and I get it. It's, it's a tough decision and it's expensive and, you know, our, it's not any easier. <laughs> We don't make it very easy to offer, so yeah. I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah one of the things that we uh, didn't, we ne- neglected to take into account when we started the wage start was that someone would stay with us, <laughs> and so we created this system where, after three years, we were like, "Oh my gosh! Like this person's making five or six dollars more an hour than a starting barista. This isn't really sustainable. <laughs> like we can't just, you know, send this on into infinity. So it, we had to like revise things and kind of, you know, have a little bit more long view of." You know, we can't have all of our staff, like, staying around forever, and, like, then this math is not going to work out. (laughs) Hi, my name is Lena. I work at Brachi Coffee Roasters in Cambridge, Mass. My question is more about when you're talking about training. What is a good way to go about asking for training, especially potentially external training. For example, I'm on our wholesale team. This is my first wholesale job, and I've basically been kind of learning as I go, but sometimes I'm wondering if there might, from the conversations here, it sounds like, is there a more efficient way to potentially go about this, and how can I ask for that help? Yeah, I, I think if you're taking a new job, if you're an employee or if you're an employer, when you give someone a job, be pretty transparent up front about what the expectations are in terms of ongoing development and training. One thing that we have as a 
is what we call um, a green fund, which is you make 10 cents per hour worked that goes into this side fund plus any bonuses for employee awards or picking up extra shifts. And then you can use that fund to pull on, basically it's a company um, debit account where employees can then withdraw to take on ongoing education or things that we don't provide. It's You have this pool where it's like, all right, I've earned 500 bucks in the last six months. I'm going to use it to go to this seminar because, and the company will pay for it. And I also think writing a proposal is good. Mm. So like laying out what you, doing the research, figuring out what you expect it to cost and saying, this is exactly what I'm hoping to get out of it. Business owners respond really well to that because mm-hmm. you're not just saying, oh, please spend money on this thing and it'll help, I swear. Not that you would, I know you, Lena. I know you would not do that. But it's just a good, <laughs> when they see that you've put that thought into it, it shows an investment in their business and also that you are really like, very clear about what you want out of it and you've done the legwork and this is what it's going to cost and this is what I expect. This is the benefit I expect to get from it. Uh, and yeah, I bet that that would, that's a good way to get it done. Yeah. All right. Well, our time is up. Thank you all for um, coming and participating. Thank you. Thank you. That was Brian Helfrich, Ryan Jensen, Connie Bloomhart, Andrew Miller, and Tamika Nichelle Lawrence at Specialty Coffee Expo in April 2019. Remember to check out our show notes for a full transcript of this lecture and a link to coffeeexpo.org for more information about this year's event. This has been an episode of the SCA's Podcast Expo Lecture Series, brought to you by the members of the Specialty Coffee Association and supported by SAP's Soft Engine Coffee One. Thanks for listening.